committee, I welcome you with open arms. Is that so? How late do you stay open? You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say, that she wouldn't even harm a fly. What's up, everybody? You're listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGN+. Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And we're back again for yet another fantastic week of Chicago film talk. Connor. And what a fantastic interview we have for you today. Oh, yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be fantastic, especially if you're a fan of, if you like horror, if you like comedy, if you like... Both? Yeah, both mixed together in, a, in a sort of thing. Uh-huh. Um, today, we are going to be talking with director... And a film critic, a man that of many talents, uh, Mr. Jason Kaufman. He has directed a film called House Sitters. It's actually available on Amazon Prime right now. Uh, if you have the Amazon Prime subscription, you can go and watch this movie. And you should. All right. Yeah, you got to. You got to go see it. And uh, it's really fun. Uh, Connor and I both watched it. And, you know, when when you watch movies as part of, like, I don't know your your job. I, w- I don't know yeah. if I'd call this a job, it's, but it's not a job, but it's it's a passion, really. Yeah, it's a passion. Um, if you watch movies in that way, uh, sometimes you get a little bit jaded, right? You get a little bit like, yeah, I've seen this before, blah 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 blah. But watching House Sitters, it was a movie that had me grinning ear to ear the, through the a lot time. of it. Yeah, yeah, the whole time. Um, fantastic characters, fantastic filmmaking, great writing has a lot to say about both the genres that it employs. And, uh, we're so lucky to have Mr. Kaufman. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So let's jump into kind of your background as a film lover and a film fan. Um, what really got you into the movies in the first place? Uh, I, I mean, when I was a kid, I watched uh, a lot of uh, like local. I grew up around sort of the Indianapolis area, so we had Sammy okay. Terry was our local horror host. Uh, so I watched a lot of Sammy Terry when I was a kid, and that just sort of naturally, you know, I got into high school and rented out all of the horror sections and all the local video stores, anything I could find. Um, which in Indiana, admittedly, you know, in the nineties, it's a little sparse pre-internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It was uh, I mean, not, but not a huge. So variety, horror was like so. your first love then, in terms of genre. Yeah, yeah, I was always like obsessed with horror movies. Yeah, uh, from pretty early on. So yeah, I mean, horror is is a great entry point because when when you're a young person getting into film, you know, you can't just jump, or maybe you can, but. Uh, I found it difficult to just jump into the classics necessarily. You know, um, you want to watch Casablanca, you want to watch right. Bicycle Thieves, you want to do all these things that are considered classics, but it can be a little bit alienating because you don't necessarily have the language of cinema down. Right. And I found in in myself, um, you know, I grew up watching Disney, you know, Disney first, all that kind of stuff. But once yeah. I wanted to get a little bit more serious in my love of film, moving into horror kind of teaches you this interesting language of film and what can be done and um 
you know, and it feels dangerous. There's something dangerous about going into the video store and you see like chopping mall and you're like, Oh man, this looks crazy. I bet this is really going to mess up my, uh, you know, mess up my brain. Let's go for it. That's the thing about horror. That's so great is it's like the outcome of watching the film is it could fuck you up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jason, I mean, how did it affect your, your brain? How did it affect your development as a cinema lover? Uh, well, I, I guess I had a similar thing where like, I sort of just moved into that, in the horror because it was what I was interested in and it was sort of accessible and everywhere had stuff. And then I kind of went out from horror into other stuff. So, you know, one time I went to the video store and instead of running, don't look in the basement, I rented like Barry Lyndon or something (laughs) like, uh, and started moving around. But, uh, horror is just, it just interests me because it's, you can, it's wide open. You can do anything with it. So it's it lends itself to examining things from interesting angles and also it's just fun. Right. Yeah. So. It's, you, it's so much fun. Do you think that it had a an influence on your sense of humor? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it it gives you a little bit more of a um a darker edge yeah and uh that that darker sense of humor i think is something that i don't know i've always found more interesting and i you know i love regular straight up studio comedies and things like that but uh especially in today's day and age that dark sense of humor really comes in handy especially if you want to comment on something especially something that can be considered um you know difficult to parse you can use that dark sense of humor to explore uh kind of gender politics especially in cinema you can use that to explore sex and drugs and all that kind of stuff which at one point um i'd say horror was how people talked about those things would you would you agree with that yeah i think a lot of stuff especially in the 70s when horror was really kind of growing up or getting weirder and uh more intense i think a lot of that stuff um there they i mean there's a lot going on there i mean you can watch the texas chainsaw massacre and just be grossed out or you can go read reams of academic papers about (laughs) what the texas chainsaw massacre is like actually about and it's fascinating stuff well i mean you're not just a uh a filmmaker but you are a film critic and uh, someone who really loves talking about film, how do you approach that sort of um, almost academic lens uh, or critical eye when you come to something like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? How do you parse through what a horror movie is actually about? Well, I don't don't feel like I'm super academic or intellectual. I I just, I guess, I think it's sort of the Ebert school is like watching something, trying to figure out what the aims are of it are and trying to evaluate how well i think they reached for what they were aiming at um but yeah I, I've, I've read a ton of books on like film theory and horror and all that sort of thing but i i don't usually get into much of any of that <laughs> in my like reviewing and, no. and stuff it's mostly just i try to take every movie on its own terms um and that can be, you know, everything. It's like if a movie was made for a thousand dollars, like I'm not going to hold that to the same standards as Get Out. No, right, of course you know? not. So, 
I think that there's a so you you're a contributor to Daily Grindhouse, but you're also an author. You uh, put together this this awesome book called The Unrepentant Cinephile, which you were kind enough to bring two copies for Tom and I. Uh, and as I was sort of parsing through it before the episode here, I saw this explanations page which you wrote. Uh, and I think that there's a you explain your philosophy of film going, which I think uh, it speaks a literal volume to your uh, to your process. It's you say that I believe that any film worth watching is worth watching at least twice, and that any film not worth watching at all is worth watching once. Yes, and I love that. I love that <laughs> approach because that really that means it's like okay so even if you see something that maybe turns you off you'll still watch it one time just to be able to just so that you can evaluate it on its merits yeah and you learn from every movie that you watch right and sometimes you learn a lot more from movies that you hate and that you think don't work at all so you learn you know to figure out what doesn't work about that how you know if if I'm going to do the same similar thing? Like how can I avoid these pitfalls or whatever? Mm-hmm. Right? Do you believe that there is such a thing as a good movie and a bad movie, or just movies that you like for certain reasons or don't like for certain reasons? Is there an objective good and bad? I think more toward the the latter. I don't I don't know about like an objective scale mm-hmm. of quality. Um, obviously, there there are things you can look at again if i'm looking at like barry linden and i'm taking into account like the cinematography and everything that's going to be different from i I don't know any you know again it's a movie made for 800 bucks Mm right you know in somebody's apartment Mm -hmm. well let's jump into the movie that you made house sitters um it is a i'll call it would a horror comedy be a, a fair way to approach that yeah uh horror comedy that deals with um two friends who have a business who they you know they put themselves out there to house it yep um they are really a lot of chemistry on screen between these two basically it's um falls a little bit of that classic horror plot where it's like they go into the house things go from bad to worse and they think everything's gonna be fine very much not so but it does so in a way that's uh really fun and like i said earlier has you grinning from ear to ear so tell us about uh where you came up with the idea for house sitters and why you wanted you felt like you wanted to really make this one uh man uh there's so many things that sort of came together uh that made it happen Mostly, uh, I had met uh, Jamie, one of our leads. She plays Izzy in the movie. I met her several years ago through a friend, uh, Jeff Burnham, who was my assistant director on this. Uh, back long ago, <laughs> in the misty past, uh, <laughs> Facets used to do midnight movies. Right. Uh, and they did a night school series. And Jeff was showing Yor, the hunter from beyond time. And as part of his presentation after the movie, he did an interview with Yor and, like, Yor's caveman girlfriend. And Jamie played the caveman girlfriend. <laughs> um, and she was hilarious. And I, I really wanted to, like, make a movie or do something with her, like a short or anything. So, like, every time I tried to come up with something, I, I, I had her in mind. Like, I should do, I should figure out how to put Jamie in this. Or, like, and it just never worked. And so that simmered for years and then i work uh i was working with um uh yadi who was our we shot in her house and her house is just packed with equipment because that's all that's her hobby so yeah she had like a 
an Ursa camera and like a Blackmagic cinema camera and just just everything a green screen yeah everything so. under the sun you know <laughs> yeah so we, that was the equipment you used yeah yeah we got to talking and we were both like um you know she was like i'd like to work on a feature and i said i would also like to work on a feature mm-hmm. i i did it actually some friends and i did a kickstarter back in 2013 for a feature and we shot 70 percent of it and then it just collapsed and we never finished it uh, what what caused the collapse if you don't mind me asking uh it was uh, everything that could happen like <laughs> just yeah. went wrong like right um i had a bunch of personal stuff where i ended up having to be out of the state mm-hmm. like i was i was in indiana more than i was in chicago that year and so the scheduling kind of got mixed up and with everybody and like i couldn't be there when anybody else could be there and then some of our cast moved away and all this it was a bunch of different yeah, things. It, yeah, it was just a just a perfect storm of awful, yeah. <laughs> awful so, circumstances. So House Sitters is like a triumphant return almost. Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I mean, we we talked about it. And it was like I really when I wrote the thing that we were shooting back in 2013, I didn't think it was that ambitious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we started shooting it, and we got into it, and. I realized that this it was ludicrously ambitious for a first movie with you know very small budget. So when we came back and Yadi and I were talking about what we were going to do, uh, we I, I just had the idea to pare it down as much as possible. One house, you know, keep the speaking parts as few speaking parts as possible. Um, so just again just kind of reeling in the ambition to like one place and like what can we do in this space so house litters is a truncated version of the feature you tried to shoot in 2013 no oh okay. no so this a, is a different completely, completely, different, completely different story i see yeah. yeah so i mean and when when it comes to filmmaking especially on a small budget i think that might be something that a lot of first-time filmmakers do that you know they feel that they're re- they're ready they want to make their big first feature and come in with a splash and uh things kind of get a little bit out of control and um you know when it's when it's your first feature i can't i mean I, i'm not a filmmaker myself i can't even imagine even putting together something like house sitters which i feel like comes off really tight and really fun and really well put together but i imagine that the process to get to that um was a lot of work can you tell us a little bit about getting everybody together getting that script together and actually shooting the film sure um the script was weirdly difficult like i've had situations where i've had ideas and or people have come to me with projects and i've worked out first draft scripts in like two or three days and house sitters took like a month for me to write for some reason it was just it was really difficult but once i got everything in place like here are the characters here's the place here's what's going to happen like it started to sort of come together um jamie was obviously our first cast member um and i told her i i knew i i gave her the script and i was like we have to have somebody that you can play off of really well um do you have any suggestions and her friend annie just happened to be moving to chicago for a short time right when we were going to be shooting so i just took jamie's word for it and just sent annie the script uh everyone else was uh audition mm-hmm. we did auditions at the the harold washington library oh. 
uh, downtown. Good acoustics. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> was kind of awkward. Um, and at least one point, because we were in like a little, like a little separate room uh-huh. that I didn't realize had like an opening out to the larger space. So, yeah, somebody was auditioning and just like yelling and screaming. And <laughs> then I realized that they could probably hear that like on the entire floor. <laughs> <laughs> But they didn't kick us out, so I guess it was fine. Yeah, I mean, you know, you gotta. There, I would say Harold Washington is a great supporter of the arts. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah that's very cool that you got to audition inside, like <laughs> yeah. a, this beautiful historic building. You know, doing. Did they? Did you have to do like test screams? Like, okay, I need to know that yeah. you can really yeah. wail. Yeah. What? Uh, <laughs> what? It, what constitutes the perfect scream or the right scream? Oh. It's hard to. It, it actually helped when we could watch them later and see like what the sound was like. Because mm-hmm. if it, like if someone screamed, and it didn't really blow out the mic. It was like eh, could have give us a little more. Yeah, you need that intense. <laughs> you wanted you yeah. wanted it to blow out the mic. Yes, you wanted it to peak. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um, so <laughs> on the uh, in the script, I was curious. It's it breathes very well. It seems very organic, and I guess that probably speaks to you, the casting because they play off each other really well. Um, but I was curious, how scripted is the film? Is there are there pockets for improvisation, or is it all like down to the T, written out? No, there's there's a lot of improv, especially between uh, Jamie and Annie. I gave them uh, co writing credits because I. I my screenplay was basically uh, a blueprint like here's mm-hmm. what people are saying what they have to say what the lines mean like but you can get there however like feels right mm-hmm. so i always tell everyone like if if anything in the script feels weird like not something a human would say <laughs> then feel free to say it like an actual person well that would have worked if for the demon right yeah, uh, he uh, he never had lines. Uh, yeah. we, I went back and forth on that a lot, whether he should have lines or not. But in the end, it's just the, the weird groaning noises yeah. I think work best. Well, and I, I think the improvisation comes out really well. Um, as you mentioned, the, the chemistry of the two leads was super i mean when you have a movie like this it's super important to have everybody attached to these leads and i think they handled it so well they've got such great timing such a great um understanding of who who exactly they're playing they know that they um are these kind of uh two two stoner chicks ne'er-do-wells yeah ne'er-do-wells <laughs> who are just so much fun to spend time with yeah. um you know it's not just the 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 plot itself but i really found myself enjoying just watching them spending time with them um and I really like this, what you did, or at least what I, I feel that you did with having essentially a female-led comedy, which is, I think, a great trend that we're seeing in both um, smaller films and big films. We want yeah. People want more of that. People want to see more women on film. Uh, were there any specific inspirations in terms of having the two female leads go together? Um, was there a way that you wanted that to be handled on screen? Well, I mostly wanted them to be uh, believable as, you know, mm-hmm. characters who've known each other. And Jamie and Annie have known each other since, like, junior high or something. And they both had extensive backgrounds in comedy and improv. So I just let them loose, and they were mm-hmm. perfect. But, uh, yeah, I was thinking pretty specifically, like, Broad City. Yeah. I was watching yeah. a lot of Broad City I think I think there's a lot of that, <laughs> a lot of that energy in there. 
yeah there's a lot of that fun energy i started pitching it as like it's like broad city and ghoulies yeah <laughs> put together and um the comedy itself i think there's a lot so many lines that just really had me like kind of giggling oh dude. um even right off the bat when you have the little throwback to 1991 yeah she goes in the bathroom <laughs> opens a window is smoking a cigarette talking on a landline yeah i was laughing so hard the voice on the phone is like just blethering nothing's coming Dude, out the other part that got me which i thought was fucking hilarious and really speaks to the subversion of the movie itself is when they're uh uh annie izzy the the person that plays izzy uh right is the character and there she's in bed with her boyfriend and then you hear this like oh, yeah. oh and it's God. her cell phone ring <laughs> oh. and it's not the score i thought that was fucking brilliant that was a fun little subversion <laughs> yeah. um the mention of a single nearly killed me um I, I that is a word i have not heard in a long time uh so yeah what, what kind of comedy do you enjoy because i think i saw a lot of stuff that i that i could point to maybe like oh there's a little maybe a little edgar wright in there with a lot of the visual gags that were going on um a lot of um maybe kevin smith's style in the in the you know very regularness and the very comfortability of the actors and also a little bit of that stoner humor as well that really plays well um how did you approach the comedy in the writing process uh well yeah i i I have to acknowledge kevin smith as Mm -hmm. because i mean i I saw clerks in indianapolis at the castleton arts theater (laughs) in like 1994 95 whenever it first played like there was a horrible radio station that had a like a preview screening and i went and saw it it's like this is amazing yeah Yeah. it's like this this guy made this movie for nothing and it's really fun so i mean that sort of spirit is definitely is definitely in there although as far as what he's gone on to do later yeah uh, i would say i would almost say that this is like what i wanted yoga hosers to be (laughs) i I think house sitters is it hand i mean because having the female-led comedy, watching, you know, I hate to compare because, as you said, we don't want to compare a movie that's made on a lower budget to something like Kevin Smith later on, where he has a bigger budget and can kind of do a little bit whatever he kind of whatever he wants, essentially. But the chemistry was not there for Yoga Hosers. the The comedy felt really stale and like almost a like a parody of Kevin Smith comedy, whereas yours felt like what kevin smith would have wanted which is something personal and something that you you know that's actually funny like there are things that i want like watching i'm like this is something that the writer and director thought was actually really funny yoga hosers didn't even look fun to make it didn't even look like the actors were having fun meanwhile we have house sitters yeah looks very fun to make what was the what was the mood on set what was it like working with these guys mostly it was uh, a beat mostly it was really fun we shot the whole thing in 10 days it's three wow. three weekends saturday and sunday all day and then like four evenings uh-huh. uh during the week at different locations and that's a tight schedule yeah i mean you you look at it and it all takes place in one house it's all supposed to be in you know within a few hours you right. know like maybe eight hours of time so it, it's pretty compressed but yeah it's even that is is not easy to get it's not right. I'm, you know if you're doing one take of everything maybe it's easier but we definitely weren't 
doing that. We, no. we, I had a lot of footage to work with, especially because we were leaving room for people to improvise and stuff. Was this? Did you edit the film? Yes. All right. What? How did it feel being the writer, director, editor? Like was. Is, is Way to the that, world. Yeah, is that easier for you to feel like, okay, I have kind of uh, control over what's going to happen? And although you do have the improv and, you know, there's a level of letting things breathe in the, in the film, but did it feel good knowing that you had final cut on how this was going to look and kind of sound? Yeah, I, I, I did all of the post-production, which is why it took so long. We shot in July, August 2016, and I finished the final cut like may 3rd of this year wow (laughs) so i mean it's a process yeah i mean i i did the editing uh the color the sound i did everything um and part of that is because i did want to have control over how it looked and how everything worked and part of it was just because i didn't have any money to have anybody else do it like i want to ask somebody like can you edit my movie for free yeah or can you do color correction on every shot of this movie for nothing like i just that was not an option so i just yeah. Hey, necessity is the mother of invention, right? Yeah. Yeah. How how much if if you can reveal to us what kind of budget were you working with on this? I think I've been saying like the very low four figures. Okay, <laughs> I don't. I don't know exactly. Um, I think ballpark. I may have spent like fifteen hundred dollars during the shooting of the movie, and like. 800 of that was probably food yeah it was almost almost all food because i couldn't afford to pay anybody no so i was like i'm gonna make sure you guys are eating well at least yeah while we're shooting the movie if Mm -hmm. i can't pay you so but 1500 dollars that's that's a tight budget it's it's something but um definitely not what people would expect um you know i what do you something i notice is that people kind of have this inflated idea of budgets like oh yeah fifteen hundred dollars that's quite a bit of money to make a movie it's really not anything no. at all yeah especially if you're you have to spend money on feeding the actors and you know when when you can if you're able to paying the actors uh you know some productions i know around chicago are using sag actors um what is it about low budget filmmaking that you think provides uh such a creative little I don't know, pocket of, of filmmaking. Cause I've seen so many low budget films, um, that do something so creative. You know, we're talking about bigger, now bigger names like Kevin Smith or even like Quentin Tarantino with reservoir dogs. That's essentially what two locations for reservoir dogs. You've got yep. the warehouse and then a few scenes in an office, in an office, you know, Diner, really, really yeah. not a whole lot going on. Super, super cheap, mm-hmm. but it comes, it comes to be one of the more creative movies out of that early nineties, um, independent film movement. Uh, so why low budget film make? Why why make movies at this level? Well, I mean, other than necessity, other than, you know? yeah. I mean, necessity is obviously the, the main thing, but uh, I, you can do anything. I guess that's the main thing. It's like in the nineties and before, you know, ten years ago, you couldn't shoot a movie for less than you know several thousand dollars and get it actually out anywhere Mm -hmm. um especially especially back in like the 90s you know shoot you had to shoot on film or you were shooting on vhs and yeah and that was its own that was its own thing but (laughs) yeah yeah. it's not like you're gonna shoot on vhs and get in 
multiplexes. No. Except no. for the movie Boarding House, which did that. There you go. Um, in the in the early eighties, there was a movie called Boarding House, shot on VHS, transferred to thirty five millimeter. Good lord! <laughs> and seeing a thirty five millimeter print of that movie is so bizarre. What it's, fresh it's like, hell is that? It's like pressing an, it's like pressing an MP three to vinyl. Like oh god, it's really weird. Uh, but yeah, like now f- filming equipment is so cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've got a camera on your phone. Um, yeah. I mean, you have movies like, let's say, Sean Baker's Tangerine, right. which was a fantastic film shot on like a what? A five iPhone 5. IPhone 5. Yeah. yeah 5S. Unbelievable. Um, and it just opens up so many opportunities for storytelling. Um, I know one, the fact that this movie is on Amazon Prime, I find to be really great. Like, that's a great platform i've noticed a lot of people that we've talked to if they're able to get it onto amazon i don't know what kind of i know netflix has like a ton of restrictions on what you can get on there but is amazon prime easier to get a film on there yes really amazon prime is basically youtube now (laughs) you just gotta upload it yeah Yeah. all you need is video content and uh, a checking account where they can send royalties and that's right you're on like and it what kind of royalties are they paying out? Is it certain, like a cent per view or something? Oh, God, that would be amazing. No, it's, <laughs> it's not at all. It's like, a, I think it's six cents per hour. Uh, they 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 parse it out in minutes streamed. So it's, yeah, it's six cents per hour until you hit 100,000 hours, and then it jumps up to 10 cents per hour. Oh. Yeah. So, so it's really? like a multi-tiered mar- it's a multi-tiered royalty scam pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but still it gives you the opportunity to say to someone, "Hey, if you've got Amazon Prime, you can watch this as part of your subscription." Yeah. Um yeah. have have people been checking it out? Has it made it easier to market the film essentially? Yeah, I mean, I've I've not done a ton of marketing per se mm-hmm. um cuz I we did uh, I submitted to tons of festivals. And the festival submissions were, I mean, I almost spent like half what I spent the first time making the movie just in festival yeah. <laughs> submissions. And that became just such a nightmare and just so miserable yeah. <laughs> and, and discouraging that I finally just gave up and was like, let's just put it on Prime. Mm-hmm. So that's why people can actually see it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I set up a URL, watchhousesitters.com, and it just goes directly to the Amazon page. Okay. So it's been really... I, Amazon, it, it is kind of ridiculous. I have some short films that I made with some friends, mm-hmm. and they were available for free since 2013 on Vimeo and never really got watched. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I uploaded two of them to Amazon Prime at the end of May, and they've been watched like exponentially more times than they've ever been watched. And I've done nothing to promote them. They're just right. they're just on there and people Someone use might it, come so. across it. Yeah. You know, which yeah. is useful. It's a little bit of that video store experience in a sense where it's like mm-hmm. you're just kind of walking you're digitally walking in yeah. and browsing and be like, oh, maybe this looks interesting. This could be fun and um someone might stumble upon a really great, you know, personal independent film. Uh what, what was the uh, URL again? Watchhousesitters.com. Watchhousesitters.com. Yeah. And I'll just, take you right over over there yeah go straight to the amazon prime u.s page yeah and so, can we talk about just how many how much of a well-rounded package this movie is um, how, how many movies is this? it's kind of a monster flick it's a haunted house flick it's a trippy like 
space time commentary on <laughs> horror movies like it's a comedy well, it's got a fucking ridiculous absurdist intermission oh we have to <laughs> we have to talk we, about there's that. a couple more things that we definitely need to touch on but let's go to this intermission because i found it to be while you know totally bizarre definitely fit the feel of the film if you could <laughs> describe a little bit this uh intermission that you included in the in the middle of the film i want to hear you describe what what it's about <laughs> it's about a puppy who wants to be a building <laughs> and it's pretty simple really. now and this is all done with uh computer graphics um there is a puppy who wants to be a building <laughs> a cat speaking <laughs> russian uh, Nor- Norwegian, I think. Norwegian. Okay. Yeah. How many languages are there? Was it just English and Norwegian? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you do you speak Norwegian, or did no. you, you just found someone that speaks Norwegian? No, it's a computer. Thing. It's a computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll go to show how much I know. I kind of thought it was real. I kind of thought of her. Wow. No, she sounds really good. That's yeah. a very good computer yeah. speaking Norwegian as a cat. Yeah. Well, they'll they'll take us all over someday. <laughs> yeah. But uh, why why did you feel that you wanted to include it to break up the film a little bit? Uh, when we the, the shooting strip was seventy pages, um, and one of the first things I thought when we were coming at this is like I watch a ton of indie horror movies, and like the number one problem I have with most of them is that there's like people make their first movie too long, right? Mm-hmm. So I've seen so many like hundred minute, hundred ten minute. Mm-hmm movies made for nothing that you know they might have some good stuff but overall it's just there's like 10 15 minutes that you can totally just get rid of yeah you can just chop and it'd be no problem so i didn't want the movie to be any longer than like 72 minutes at the absolute outside so i wrote the script 70 pages we shot everything in it i cut everything together and we came in at like just under an hour and I don't know how that happened. I think it's just we shot. Everyone was kind of speaking pretty it's quick. Quick, yeah. yeah, yeah it's it's yeah. almost like yeah, like screwball. Like it's like bam, 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 yeah, bam. Yep, yep. Um, so I had to. I wanted to at least get over an hour. Mm-hmm. So part of it is just padding. It's like we had to get over an hour. But I, I am always. If I'm going to do something like that, I want to do like the the stupidest thing possible like the most ridiculous like <laughs> like not even trying it's like of, cor- of course this is padding but like look at it but it know? was but it was such good padding like it just once i saw it, i was like end of part one interesting interesting yeah. and then it goes into this totally bizarre i was just like watching it like oh there's a squid flying down the street well okay here we are <laughs> not in to, nightmare world <laughs> not to put a label on it but i felt like this could be in like adult swim yeah you know on cable and people would definitely just watch yeah the intermission and i would hope i mean i hope that this intermission sells you on the rest of the film too yeah. because the rest of the film is great but um i it just had me absolutely crying with laughter it's so ridiculous it's sort of the gauntlet i think like if if you <laughs> if you get like what we're doing I, you know people are really they're either really into it mm-hmm. or like they just yeah don't understand that's the trial by all. fire but. yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> exactly and well I, I will say that um this this is a movie that definitely if you're into low budget horror if you like that type of thing this really engages those tropes on a in a way that doesn't feel 
ironic but no. feels more genuine I, fe- I didn't feel like you were trying to make fun of or take the piss out of low budget horror this was you saying i love low budget horror let's take a little bit let's mess around with it and make it fun and funny and tongue-in-cheek for those who do really love the genre but not make fun of them for liking a genre yeah i did want to know um is there a specific commentary that you wanted to make with the movie because i had a takeaway a a very specific takeaway but i was curious if you had something that you were trying to say with the movie maybe like even a because it's clear that you love indie horror but is there a critique that you wanted to make about it um maybe just in more maybe more in the approach yeah that we took than the actual movie itself okay um part of it was the i don't want it to be too long um a big part of it, though, was again. I watch a lot of indie horror movies, and if you watch a lot, you see a lot of the same thing over and over and over and over again, mm-hmm. which can get exhausting. Right. Um, I don't remember. There was something I, I saw recently, um, or maybe around the time we were working on House Sitters, that just sort of like was the line for me. It was like I'm never watching another movie that's just some dude murdering a bunch of women like yeah for no reason like that does nothing like gives you nothing different like i just i'm just tired i just got sick of those like same slasher movies same so and it's not that you know those kind of things can't be done well no um one of our voice actors in the uh <laughs> in the uh the trailer yeah john our hand made a movie called joel that just came out recently and technically that fits into the it's just like a guy who murders a bunch of women but like it's based on a real story and it does it's like fascinating with like the psychology and everything Mm -hmm. so you can do something like that and make it interesting and make it worthwhile but i just wanted to go as far in the opposite direction as possible like don't take the movie the movie should not take itself super seriously um it shouldn't just be the same zombie slasher stuff that everybody makes because it's quote unquote easy yeah and likable people know what it is yeah and uh and just you know make characters actual characters that you want to watch and spend time with because again a lot of the indie movies they i don't know why but they write all the characters are just the most reprehensible character like, you yeah don't, you don't it's not even cathartic watching them get murdered just like i just wish i hadn't spent any time with these people <laughs> well Con- I, I am curious to hear what your takeaway was connor so my my takeaway from it was that there is a it's it's basically what you just said is that there are these observable tropes in indie horror that just get tiring, right? They're just mm-hmm. tired premises where the male like women are constantly being murdered and punished for their sexuality and they're like underwritten characters if they seem to have been written at all and the monster is just this like evil demon that was summoned and once it's summoned it wants to wreak havoc on the world and end the world that uh, assuming it also lives in so like what's the what's the (laughs) motivation there but so i i guess and i think that what i loved most about the movie is that you really flip all of it on its head in a way that is it feels fresh and it's it's cathartic at the end without being a bloodbath necessarily 
and like you make it's a female driven comedy at, at its core like a broad city kind of a thing but the men are sort of the sex objects as tom yeah. tom was the one yeah. that put that <laughs> yeah. line in my head earlier yeah. yeah it's that's what i really thought was funny about it is that it's you know the women are using the men as their as their sex objects yeah. like um i think it's kind of exemplified for me in and and it's done in a way where it's just where it's not sex negative where it's just like oh look how disgusting they are it's very sex positive in a way and um the scene where uh they they wake up in bed uh the uh, izzy uh wakes yep. up in bed with her boyfriend and they, you have this whole little she, comedic beat where yeah. she keeps smacking him on the ass and it's just like <laughs> it didn't feel gross it felt so what a loving smack on the ass yes. like it was it felt very comfy to watch yeah very cozy very coupley and um you know, one of the things that they're doing throughout the first half of the film is that they're just sitting on the couch smoking weed and watching yeah. old pornography. Yeah. yeah. I love the big box, Pappy's Porn Porn box. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I got the porn, but we don't have any food. Yeah. <laughs> she gets like a whiff of the box and she's like about oh. to throw <laughs> That was an improv. That was, that was not in the script. That was, oh, that was her just... Fantastic. So, um... House Sitters, really fun. If you have Amazon Prime, please do check it out. Um, it's it's an hour long, and I think you're going to come out of it really, really enjoying it. Um, again, the uh, URL, it's going to take you right to the Amazon page to watch it, is watchhousesitters.com. Uh, you can also, where can we get, uh, is the, the copy of The Unrepentant Cinephile, where can we find that? Is that on Amazon? Yeah, it's on Amazon also. It's All just right. a, like a print-on-demand thing. So. And it's it's huge i don't know let me see if i can get the get some get some nat it's sound bully. there it's it's really heavy it's it's huge yeah. and but i i love it it is this something you need to have in your house if you like if you like film if you like reading really uh you know a, a person who loves these b movies loves yeah. kind of low budget stuff I mean, it just seems like the kind of thing. What do I watch tonight? Fuck searching through Netflix for three hours. Well, yeah. Let's open to a random page. I mean, Anaconda. All right, fine. I'll watch it. And it's and it's a great addicted guide. to murder. Let's watch that one. Yeah. I mean, this is the kind of book that if one once if once you get it in the mail after you bur- have you purchase <laughs> it, order on demand. Yeah. Um, it seems like the kind of thing that you can go through and it's nice and big and you can make your own notes in a sense. You can give it, you know, I, I have a couple books like that. I have like um, Roger Ebert's The Great Movies Volume 1 and like mm-hmm. the New York Times Thousand and One Movies to Watch Before You Die. And this is very similar in a sense where you can, I, I like to make notes in the books and be like, give it my own star rating and kind of see um, how I feel about each one and just kind of go through each each movie and have a good time with it and um get all your thoughts on it uh, is there anywhere that we can follow you on social media where can we read you at uh, daily grindhouse yeah i write for daily grindhouse and film monthly um i just finished covering fantasia for film monthly uh, for the first time i think it's the first time the site's covered fantasia so great that was fun um i'll probably be covering fantastic fest for daily grindhouse this fall also so that's that is must read must read what's coming out of fantastic fest that's a big that's a big festival um do you you wouldn't happen to know matt sapolo would you i've never met him uh i know he started writing for film monthly yeah uh, not too long ago yeah I've seen so his byline popping up over there yeah definitely um i think you guys would get along very well yeah. i think you both have a great <laughs> approach to film uh again jason kaufman director of house sitters 
writer for multiple outlets, Film Monthly, Daily Grindhouse, and also the author of The Unrepentant Cinephile, Collected Reviews of Cult, Exploitation, Horror, and Independent Films. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. All right. This has been NoCo Cinema on WGM+. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush. And I am Connor Cornelius. And we will see you all next week. <laughs>